and welcome to the Kane County Bar Association's On the Bar podcast. I am your host and immediate past president, Andrew Whitfield, and this is Life Before the Law, Episode 3, where we interview Lori Schmidt, director of the Kane County Child Advocacy Center as part of the uh, Kane County uh, State's Attorney's Office. Lori Schmidt, in... um, in this episode discusses her uh, first job outside of college where she was a paralegal with the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals and also working at the Cook County Public Guardian's office where she then decided to then go to law school and become an assistant state's attorney. I've worked with Lori uh, on numerous cases over the years while I was in the Kane County State's Attorney's office and she's one of the best trial attorneys I've ever seen out there and this is her story. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Kane County Bar Association podcast. Today I have guest Lori Schmidt, the director of the Kane County Child Advocacy Center through the Kane County State's Attorney's Office. And this is essentially a redo of our interview. I believe it was in September when we did this. And while editing, we realized, or the St. Charles Library um, couldn't find the full recording of this episode. It was approximately 25 minutes, but when we had the file, it only recorded three minutes in a uh, recorded intro that I did afterwards. So apparently they did a forensic uh, search here that took 42 hours to try to locate the artifacts. And I imagine some of us out there in the Bar Association can relate to this when you think you've done something and it's fully recorded and you lose things. I guess that's kind of how technology works sometimes, and I imagine uh, my guest here, Lori Schmidt, can relate to that You know, as an expert trial attorney and somebody who's done multiple trials. I think we can all relate to technological gaffes and things that occur. So, And without further ado... Um, Lori, um, how long have you been working um, for the Kane County State's Attorney's Office? Well, first of all, thank you for having me again here at the St. Charles Library. Um, I'm honored to um, be here for this podcast. I've been at the Kane County State's Attorney's Office since 2003, so this year I hit my 20-year mark. Congratulations. And how long have you been at the Kane County Child Advocacy Center? I've been at the Advocacy Center since 2008. Okay, and currently you're the director of the Child Advocacy Center, correct? That is correct. And what do you do as the director of the Child Advocacy Center? So as the director, I oversee approximately 20 uh, staff members, uh, team members at the Advocacy Center, investigators, um, child forensic interviewers, victim advocates, and assistant state's attorneys, and administrative staff and oversee the investigations that come into the advocacy center and the prosecutions of those cases. Excellent. And for listeners out there, I was there for approximately two years. It's one of the most rewarding assignments you can have um, while being a prosecutor in the state's attorney's office. And the cases are certainly feel, uh, I guess, rewarding um, as far as the people you work with and the victims that you assist. Um, And I obviously had a great time working there with you and others. And uh, I think the last time we were here during the first attempt of this interview, um, you had your unit approximately had 21 trials go. 
That's right. Uh, I think currently we're at 25 uh, trials for the year. I think that's a record number since I've been at the Advocacy Center since 2008. I don't think we've ever done 25 trials uh, in uh, felony trials. That's excluding any juvenile cases. So it's a record year. I can only imagine the stress behind that. But, you know, knowing that you're in charge and the people that are there, I'm sure they're dealing with it in stride because obviously these are very stressful type cases. So I applaud your efforts and everything that you've done on behalf of the people and children and families um, here in Kane County. Um, So diving into uh, more, um, going into the theme of uh, this podcast is, again, life before the law. And for people out there, uh, Lori had an interesting and relatable story, at least on her track to becoming a prosecutor. Um, So, Lori, I want to go back into that, and obviously we're rehashing things, but um, in the sense of doing this again, um, last time we talked and started off about your time starting with uh, receiving your bachelor's or uh, going to the Illinois State University, and can you what, what did you major in uh, during your time at ISU? Sure. At ISU, I majored in political science, a minor in Spanish, and a minor in legal studies, and that legal studies minor allowed me also to receive my paralegal certificate. And you were also involved with extracurricular activities, correct? Yes, I uh, was a track and cross-country runner. And did you do that all four years while there? Yes, I did. Excellent. And when you were there at ISU, uh, given that you had a law-related degree with paralegals, did you at some point while you were there intending ever to go to law school? At that time, no. Um, It wasn't until I took my first job at the Seventh Circuit when I started to think about heading to law school. Okay, so you mentioned, and we've talked about this, your first job was outside of college after you graduated. You you worked for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals here in Chicago? I did. I was 21 years old. I took my first job as a new appeals uh, processing clerk at the Dirksen Federal Building at the Seventh Circuit uh, Clerk's Office. Um, The clerk's office is located on the 27th floor of that um, amazing building. On the 27th floor, there's floor-to-ceiling uh, windows, which is a stark contrast to where the attorneys are housed at the Child Advocacy Center, which is the basement <laughs> with no windows. Um, but um, it was an amazing opportunity as as a young graduate at 21 years of age to have the privilege to work there at the Seventh Circuit in that building. And I, I know from the first recording you looked into it, you've brought something. There's some interesting history as far as the building Um, at the Seventh Circuit, where it's located in Chicago, and also some connection, I believe, to out here or in this area. What what was that? So prior to 1965, the Dirksen Federal Building, or the Seventh Circuit um, Court, was located on Lakeshore Drive from 1938 to 1965. And then in 1965, the Dirksen Federal Building, Building opened, and that building was designed by architect Ludwig Mies van der Rohe, and he also has um, a home which he designed in Farnsworth, um, called the Farnsworth House in Plano, Illinois. All right, so that's not too far from us. It's you know basically just south of Kane County. That's an interesting tidbit. Now, going back, you said you were an appeals processing clerk. What were some of your general duties and the things that you did? 
um, in that capacity. Yeah, so back then it was pretty old school when people would bring in their filings, their briefs to file. We would take out rulers to make sure the margins were um, comporting to the Seventh Circuit rules that the type font was the proper font, um, and then all of the other requirements that are in a brief. Um, so back then they had Kinkos. I don't know if we still have Kinkos around, <laughs> but um, the clerks for the law firms would bring in these boxes of the briefs to file, and um, we would measure them and, and make sure they comported to the rules, and often they did not, and then they would have to take the boxes of files uh, back down the elevator and back to Kinkos. Yeah, I, I, I have a, a case I'm assisting where I think I'll end up doing my first jury at the Dirksen building, and everybody talks about reading the rules of each judge and each page. Each judge has their own page and spe- you know specifications of when to file and all sorts of various things. It's a lot more what appears, I guess, stringent and strict. And I've always heard some of the, even the local judges around here, like Judge Halleck, you know, bring that sort of thing up as far as, you know, the Seventh Circuit and the federal district courts uh, in order to prepare yourself uh, for that. So I can only imagine the stress that some of those law clerks would have when you were reviewing. Yes, um, uh, especially when there was a filing deadline and they're bringing the briefs in at 420 and we're closing at 430. And uh, all the briefs are wrong. Yeah, no, nothing like waiting till the last minute. That's why I've always tried to at least give yourself some leeway when you're faced with those circumstances, as my uncle would say, prior proper planning. And I won't get into the rest of that. I imagine people probably can finish that off <laughs> as far as what that what that is. Um, now, we talked about you, – you worked with – all, a bunch of other staff while at the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It was. A, it sounded like it was a very collegial environment, if you can go into that, as far as how that operated. It, it was, and at the time I didn't realize um, how special of an opportunity it was to work there at the Seventh Circuit at the clerk's office. Um, we would deliver the, the briefs to the judges' chambers, and at the time uh, the judges that were sitting during the time that I was there, obviously um, some Famous judges, Judge Posner, um, Judge Kane, Judge Easterbrook, Judge Bauer, and Judge Rovner. And Judge Rovner was the first female appointed to the Seventh Circuit. So um, it was a special opportunity to interact with the judges and, you know, bring the briefs to their uh, chambers. Even though it was a minor thing, it was still uh, special to have that opportunity. Would you converse with them frequently or how often would you normally see them, I guess? Um, not too often. Obviously, outside of the Seventh Circuit um, clerk's office is the Seventh Circuit uh, courtroom, um, which if you've been there, it's a pretty grand uh, place, pretty formal uh, courtroom. So often we would have an opportunity to go in and sit and watch a case that was being argued. Yeah, and that's something I haven't been able to do. I've wanted to go there. Um, the s- subsequent guest, Mark Stadahard, you know, kind of got into when he clerked and was in D.C. and talked about the United States Supreme Court and some of that and mentioned I, I had no idea there was a basketball court above the Supreme Court, <laughs> which was kind of interesting to find out. So that's something I, I, I have on my list is I, I would like to see some of the architecture, the buildings and the courtrooms uh, at, at the federal level. 
Um, John and I had also, Kesdi, our first guest, we had talked about some of the courthouses, you know, across the state with the Art Deco style. So it's it's always nice to kind of see, you know, the various courthouses and courtrooms across Illinois and, and the United States. I know you got to go to the United States Supreme Court uh, with the Bar Association. Not yes, too long ago. that was an amazing opportunity. It was the year, I believe it was the year before COVID. And um, we actually got to hear uh, cases being, uh, rulings being presented. We sat in the front row. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I would recommend that if the Bar Association takes another trip, that definitely uh, if you can go, you should go and, and do that. That was one of my biggest regrets was not going that year. I had a vacation to go visit you know, my cousin, who was basically my older brother, down in Florida to go see the Mets lose to Miami. <laughs> I always regretted that. And then SIU, my law school offered that, but then COVID hit and it kind of just, you know, derailed from there. So I am slightly jealous. I believe um, you got to meet Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well. We did, and that was a last-minute um, opportunity. Initially, we were told that she would not have uh, time to meet with us, that she was meeting with other associations, and at the last minute – Someone came into the waiting room that we were in in the Supreme Court. Actually, the waiting room was uh, a room where they would have uh, judges' uh, lunches, and uh, she came in and spoke to all of us and was very uh, kind, and we were grateful for that opportunity. That's excellent, because I know they're very busy. I remember seeing the letters from all the various justices um, that weren't unable to you know, meet with the association when we sent it out ahead of time. So that's an excellent opportunity. So going back to the Seventh Circuit when you were there, how long did you approximately, how long did you work there? I was there from 1989 to 1995. Okay. And at that point um, when you were leaving in the process, um, after your time at the Seventh Circuit, did you at that point have any sort of indication or inclination that you wanted to become an attorney? Uh, it was always in the back of my my head, I guess. Excellent. And then <laughs> you, um, from the uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, you then took a job at the Cook County Public Guardian's office, correct? That is correct. I started there in 1995 as a paralegal and a client uh, interviewer there. And for those of you who don't know where that Public Guardian's office is located, it's located uh, um, on Damon and Ogden in Chicago, kind of in uh, the hospital district. And in interviewing people, did you go out go out into the field with attorneys and investigators? No, actually, I would go out in the field on my own and visit children that were in foster care uh, at different homes throughout the city of Chicago. Okay. And what were how many courtrooms did they have that exclusively uh, dealt with this issue as far as with the public guardians and foster care? Pretty amazing. They had twelve courtrooms compared to the one courtroom that we have here in King County. I mean, this is back in the mid-1990s. They had 12 courtrooms for abuse and neglect cases. Oh, wow. And how many attorneys were staffed and how, how many other support staff, such as you, with paralegal uh, so degrees? Each courtroom had approximately six attorneys, uh, one uh, paralegal, and then one other uh, interviewer. Excellent. And what were some of the things that you were interviewing about? And like, I guess typically what, what were some of the filings? So just to make sure that they were safe in their placement, any needs or issues they had, and if there was an issue in court coming up, uh, a change in visitation or placement, uh, to speak to them about that. Okay. And it was at this point from, you know, 
you know, us talking, you know, previously and also working together, you um, started to work or excuse me, you started going, you started law school part time. That's right. Um, when I was at the public guardian's office, um, I, I guess a mentor from the Seventh Circuit who was an attorney um, had asked me if I had gone to law school yet. And um, at the time, I hadn't, and that kind of sparked me to like that. That that was the next step for me. So I decided. Uh, I talked to my husband at the time and said, "I'm going to go to law school." Um, at the time, you know, we were also thinking about starting a family and what that would entail with law school, uh, having a family, and um, I made the move to go to law school part time at John Marshall and then to work full time at the public guardian's office. So those were very long days. I can only imagine, and, and, and you know, looking at that, what, what kind of caseload did you have at the time when you were working full-time at the public guardian's office and, and going to law school part-time? So I supported the six attorneys uh, on my courtroom. Uh, so it, it, was, it was a lot of work, um, but I think it prepared me for the work-life balance as being a prosecutor and a parent. Excellent. And I know I remember my first year of law school, they recommended, oh, don't work at all that first year of it. But, you know, if you can, just make sure, you know, you're, you know, you're checking in on yourself and, and whatnot. But it's so, I commend you for being able to do that and, and balance that. That's, that's amazing to, you know, work a full-time job and, and, and do that part-time. I can only imagine the, the hours of work between the two especially your first year where you're, you're kind of learning the ropes, but I guess, you know, working in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals and having that experience, did you did you believe that kind of gave you a, a leg up on others? I, I do. I think having some background and knowledge of just the legal system in general and, um, you know, the briefs and, and law and things like that, I think it did give me a leg up. And just being a little bit older out of out of college, going to law school, I think gave me a leg up. Now, as far as your commute, were you driving or taking the train downtown to add to all of that? <laughs> yes, to add to the insanity. So I lived in Wheaton at the time, so I would drive to the public guardian's office. Um, there really wasn't public transportation from Wheaton to get to where the guardian's office was located. So then after work, I would then drive to the city and, and go to you know, night classes and then drive back home. I can I can't even begin to imagine the the length of the day, you know, between the the commute, the the work, the class, and then not only that, then the homework and and, and assignments that you have to do later on. Um, it's quite uh, quite grueling, and I can only imagine you know the anxiety to some degree. Now, at some point, I believe you then transitioned to full time. Correct. That is correct. Um, I get towards the end of my last year, I transitioned to full time, um, kind of just, I need to get it done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the driving and working and everything was, was getting to be a lot. Um, then I transitioned to full time and I became pregnant with my daughter, Annika. Uh, so I had her my last year of law school and then study for the bar exam when she was uh, very young. Wow. I, yeah, that's that's even more <laughs> grueling. And uh, I guess as far as having a young child and then going, working full time, going to law school, but then doing law school full time, preparing for the bar exam and uh, having a baby. That's that's crazy. I, I, I can only imagine again the stress which you took in stride and obviously 
had success in um, you know taking the bar exam. And uh, f- after taking the bar exam, uh, what was your next step in- as far as your legal career? W- what was your plan? So I guess always at the guardian's office, just seeing the horrible abuse, you know, child abuse, child maltreatment, always in the back of my head, I wondered what was happening to the perpetrators, right? And that kind of sparked my passion to become a prosecutor and um, luckily fall into this this area that I am and have been at the state's attorney's office. No, that's great. And you were you started with the uh, the state's attorney's office. What what year was that again? I don't. I, I, I want to say it was was it two thousand two or am I off? Two thousand and three. Two thousand three. I was a year off. And where did you start once you uh, began at the uh, state's attorney's office? I started in the domestic violence courtroom. At that time, it was courtroom 209. I don't know if it still is 209, but that's where I started. I believe it is. I think that's the one courtroom staple is that 209 will always be domestic violence. It's it's probably since time immemorial or when that building (laughs) um, basically opened, which I think was 1993. Um, and so from there, eventually you worked your way up, correct, as far as to the felony division? Yes. Um, from there, I went to the Elgin Branch Court. And then after that, I went to the juvenile um, delinquency courtroom. I was also in abuse and neglect courtroom and then went on to the Child Advocacy Center as a prosecutor. And how, again, you started at the Child Advocacy Center, that was 2008, I believe? Yes. Okay, yeah, just going back, because I, I started in November, or no, before that, it was September of 2007, and I think I remember you briefly being, it was either at juvenile, or, you know, my memory, you know, has been fading, but I remember I wasn't there very long with obviously moves, and I, I, I vaguely remember, I think, when you had started, at the at the child advocacy center, and Debris was the supervisor at the, uh, the juvenile justice center for the state's attorney's office at the time. That's so, correct. So, and you've also done I know a lot of other high profile cases as far as murder cases, uh, in addition to all the CAC trials. Correct. That's correct. And um, I can only imagine you know again your experience uh, at the public guardian's office certainly. Uh, prepared you um, for, you know, leading and being, um, you know, a a pivotal prosecutor um, for the Child Advocacy Center and the state's attorney's office. So, again, you know, I thank you for everything um, that you've done on behalf of the people and and the children here in Kane County. And also, again, for being, um, you know, an excellent – co-prosecutor and helping me learn the ropes in the system. I remember we did a trial not too long ago and, you know, people might relate to this. There's a scene, <laughs> and I don't think we I brought this up the last time when we first did this, but I was thinking about it after the fact was that, you know, for inspiration, there's certain movies, scenes, music, and what have you that I think we all kind of use. And I think I told you, I showed you that scene from it was the end battle scene in Platoon with yes. Corey Glover <laughs> and Charlotte Sheen jumping out of the foxhole. And, you know, it kind of ends there. You know, it goes through the battle. And that's kind of what that trial, you know, felt at the time where you felt like you're taking a beating. But doing that with you 
you know, again, that, that gave me the inspiration to continue on and, and look at things in an optimistic, you know, kind of light that, you know, at the end of the tunnel that everything will work out. It actually did in that particular instance. So, again, you know, I thank you for, you know, all of that. And on behalf of the Kane County Bar Association, um, I, you know, I also thank you for being here and, you know, being gracious enough to come back and re-record. <laughs> essentially <laughs> this episode due to the, the, the technological issues again that we sometimes encounter um, in our life as not everything is perfect or goes according to plan and again we as lawyers we think on our feet and have to you know go back and sometimes do things again so well thank you for having me here today I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and hear my background thanks again